I will take to my grave the memory of, of watching the semifinal game this year. Uh, one of the greatest games of college football that ever will happen. Welcome and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast, where we visit with some of the top coaches, players, and industry leaders across college football. I'm Scott Lightman with the Fiesta Bowl, and today we're joined by college football playoff executive director Bill Hancock, one of the most respected individuals in college athletics administrators over the last three-plus decades. Bill is a University of Oklahoma graduate who had professional stops at the University of Oklahoma, the Big 8 Conference, the NCAA, the BCS, and now at the college football playoff. Bill, you have a unique distinction in that you presided over the NCAA March Madness men's basketball tournament for the better part of 15 years and now serve as the top executive for the college football playoff. So you've served the two major collegiate sports at the top level. What similarities are there? Well, first of all, how lucky am I? <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream come true to be involved in, in events like those. And for me to have, have been sort of at the steering wheel has been uh, just a remarkable experience. Um, there are more similarities than there are differences between the two. Uh, this will be the, I've lost track, 80-something Final Four, uh, and we just have we just had six college football playoffs. Uh, so that's one thing right there that we don't have the longevity yet that in football that we had in basketball. Um, the attention to football is uh, even compounded uh, over basketball, and I wouldn't have said that during my basketball days. When I was doing the basketball, I, was, I always stayed in touch with college football. considered myself a huge college football follower, uh, but I just didn't realize the magnitude of, of the attention that, that the sporting public gives to college football uh, vis-a-vis even, even basketball, which we all love. So, yeah, more, more similarities than differences. Is there anything in particular that you drew from your men's basketball time that maybe impacted how the college football playoff has been administered or even when you started it up a few years back? Well, the first thing that we did, and and by the way, it's been eight years since the playoff was created. Uh, Kind of hard to believe, but it was was put in place in June of, of 2012. And the first thing we decided was, let's keep the focus on the players and let's make every decision we make through the filter of what's best for the players. Um, we did that in basketball too, but I, I, I don't think we were able to do, uh, I know we weren't able to do a lot of the things that, that we now do in football, and basketball has taken on uh, since they saw the football example. So do what's best for the players. And then secondly, uh, we borrowed many of our selection committee protocol, not all of it, but a lot of it from the way we did it in basketball. And my theory was it ain't broke, so we don't need to try to fix it. Um, so if you went through the mock exercises for the football tournament and you had been through the mock exercises for the committee work for basketball, you would come away thinking, hey, there's a lot about this that's the same. Your background early in your career was from a media perspective. I think – 
I read that your dad uh, was involved with the, the local newspaper, maybe even the publisher. And then you started in sports information or sports PR on the college level. How did those experiences shape how you manage as you've gone through all of your career stops? What I learned in my newspaper days was um, to write succinctly and briefly. And you know this, it's harder to write a short paragraph than it is to write uh, uh, eight pages. <laughs> and so I, I took that from my newspapering days. I also took from those days that everybody has a story and everybody has an opinion and every opinion is to be respected. And I love to I love to ask people, oh, okay, I, I got that. Now tell me what went into your thought process in that. I'm a, I'm a good asker of questions, and I know that came from being a newspaper first. Uh, now I was not a Craig Harris investigative reporter in my newspaper days, but I did do it long enough to know uh, what was important to people. And that people are the most important thing to any of us in any of our any of our fields. So learning how to write, uh, I've always been a reader. Uh, knowing how important it is to read, I think is is very very uh, significant for any of us in college athletics or any in any field for that matter. Um, and I, I just think for me, understanding how reporters think. When a reporter calls me, I, I'm not on edge. I'm not intimidated, like like I think so many people are when they get interviewed, athletes and and administrators and coaches also. But I I know what the reporter's thinking and what they're after, and if I can help them uh, get the truth out, then I'm I'm happy to do it. And I'm I'm always happy that a reporter takes time to call and ask questions. That's great. Um... Similarly, in terms of transferring of experiences, uh, I know personally, obviously, we worked together in Rio in 2016 at the Olympic Games, and you've worked at the Olympic Games since 1984. What do you learn from those experiences, and maybe how have they helped or been implemented in your work at the NCAA or the college football playoff? Well, by the way, it was really fun working with you in Rio. Uh, I know you didn't, you personally didn't have quite as much fun as I did. But During the most part, not- I did, Bill. It was just the last day or two. <laughs> That's actually not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> oh, would I love to do a podcast with you and talk to you about those three or four days of your life. Uh, anyway, uh, back to the topic at hand. Obviously, you know this, and, and I think most sports fans do also. Uh, the Olympics is the biggest sporting event in the world. Uh, world Cup is right there, just a notch behind. Uh, Super Bowl has been jumped up there to being real close. But there's nothing like the Olympics. And I've learned so much from watching how the games are organized, uh, from working with the host committees, uh, from knowing how the IOC operates. And their position is the same as I'd like to describe for us, is let's let's make things good for the athletes. Um, I, I just can't even begin to tell you all the things that I've learned from all those games that going back to 84. And I'll tell you, Scott, the most significant change in the Olympics between 84 when I started and now and what we're going to see in Tokyo this summer is in security. Uh, there's just, the security is just so 
so much uh, ramped up, like everything is in our world, but particularly the Olympics. And uh, organizing committees are, are obligated to spend so much money on security. And it's, it's a shame, but on the other hand, nobody has anything more important to do than to ensure the safety of the athletes. So just looking back to 84, that to me, that's the biggest change is, uh, is how much more careful we all have to be about security. And, you know, at the Olympics, it takes a while to get somewhere. You can't just say, I'm going to leave and I'm going to be at my, at my competition venue in 10 minutes. You have to build in time to go through security, build in time to find your bus, build in time to wait for the bus. Nobody complains about it, really. It's kind of remarkable. But everybody just waits in line and, and, and gets there early. And so you, you get to the pool early and you go have a snack and you sit and talk to your friends and wait for the competition to begin. <laughs> uh, on on top of that, it's also amazing how many new conversations and friendships begin because you have people of multiple countries in a similar waiting situation that allows the opportunity to strike up conversations, not just with your you know, American friends, but to speak with people from different countries about what their perspectives are or what their viewpoints are about the competition or in general. Yep, and boy, you, you hit something right there, Scott, that I think is so important is the Olympics is really the place where the people of the world come together in good faith. And yeah, for competition and trying to win, but it's mostly in, in good faith. You're with your friends from other countries, and yeah, like I said, you want to compete and you want to try to win, but it, it's the world's biggest county fair. And I, I maintain it's the happiest place in the world. And I we, we need more of that. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm just so much looking forward to to this summer in Tokyo. Hey, Bill, in, in the selection committee room, what are some of the most talked about debates that we've experienced or that you've experienced thus far in CFP history? You know, what, what I enjoy the most about the selection committee room, and it was the same for me in the 16 years I spent with uh, working with the basketball committee, is that these are smart people who want to give something back to the game, and they're dedicated to getting it right. And the spirit of working together, the spirit of debating, and, and yes, arguing a little bit, uh, but that's dominated by the fact that they're all there to get it right. And they work hard to that, to that end. And, you know, while there have been some disagreements and, and some public eyebrow raising about the committee's decisions. I feel like they've gotten it right all six years. And I know when, when each year when the committee leaves the room on that Sunday, they, they, they sit back in their chairs and they say, wow, that was an amazing process and we got it right. So take me in the room just a little bit more, at least, I guess, as much as you can. <laughs> um, this past season, the selection committee at year's end had LSU number one and Ohio State number two. And they'd been the opposite in the previous few weeks. Personally, and I'm not sure how many people out there care about my personal opinion, but I personally have been telling people that I thought if LSU ran the table and they beat a number four Georgia in the SEC championship game, they would move to number one. But then when I saw what the committee had done the previous few weeks and how much how my perception was that they valued Ohio State, and I'm sure they did, I wasn't so sure that was still going to happen. But then on selection day, you know, LSU was number one and Ohio State was number two. 
How does a decision like that come to be? It comes from comparing the team's results game by game all season. And you're right. Those, those two teams sort of basically almost uh, alternated in, in their spots through the, through the season. And it, it was just every game changed the team's resume. And when, when teams look a lot alike, um, it, it's part of the game for, for, the, for them to change every week. And yeah, when LSU added the, the, the victory, the resounding victory over, over, over a really good Georgia team, uh, that changed their resume enough to put them in the number one spot. So, so what factors are you looking for in terms of, um, you know, two years ago, a Penn State Washington came here and a, a USC Ohio State went to the Cotton Bowl, and that was the year that Auburn and UCF went to the Peach Bowl um, as a case study. You know, what are, how does the committee, if there's a way to kind of characterize that, how they would place those six teams into those three bowls? Uh, they, there's, there's several factors that the committee uses. Uh, one is they, they avoid rematches of regular season games. Uh, another is they want to get regionalization as well as they can. In other words, if you have a Washington, you know, you'd like to send that as close as possible for, for their fans. That, that team goes place as close as possible for their fans. Uh, you like the best matchups. So if we had teams I don't know, just say six and seven available, then you would try to match those two up rather than having six play 12 uh, and seven play 11. You'd like, you, you'd like to get the best matchups uh, that you can. Um, so th- those, those are some of the factors. Um, we also would try not to send the same team to the same bowl it's been in in the past very often, like if the team had been to Phoenix, you know, three out of the last four years, the committee would probably say, hey, let's try to send them somewhere else just to give a different destination for their fans. So you throw all those things and others into a kind of a mixing bowl, and the committee will take plenty of time to work through it and, and come out with the best, the best matchups. Bill, site selection during the BCS era, the championship game rotated amongst the Rose Bowl and Pasadena. Fiesta Bowl here in Arizona, the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, and the Orange Bowl in Miami. It, so it hit the four different regions of the country. That seemed to work well for the communities and college footballs. Today, the championship game is going to 10 different cities in, in 10 years, kind of bringing college football to new locations than it had in the past. Might there be a time when the college football playoff championship game goes back to sort of a rotation of maybe the New Year's Six Bowls or a certain uh, bowl rotation? Oh, that's not being contemplated at this point. Um, I think I've been in this business long enough to know that a lot of things can, can change and people's mindsets can change. But at this point, that's not something on the radar. Uh, we have benefited from taking the championship games in new parts of the country. Uh, I remember a person said to me, why does it always have to be in the Sun Belt? You know, why can't it be in... Northern California. Why can't it be in the Big Ten uh, footprint like we're going to Indianapolis? 
And that's a pretty hard question to answer other than, oh, maybe it should. And that's how we came out with the, the 10 in 10. First 10 years of the championship game for the listeners' purposes are, are in 10 different cities. Uh, I know you're quite familiar with that, but it was a step we took and something we did consciously. Um, you know, the four cities that had the BCS were, were great cities for all of us, and we love them dearly. They're like our brothers, And uh, but the fact is it was it was a new event and time to kind of move it around. But the future has really, we've not contemplated that. What are some of the determinations when you look at a championship game site for the college football playoff? You know, we, we said some are in less traditional football cities, but cities like Indianapolis have had amazing success in hosting Super Bowls, Final Fours, and, and the footprint of Indianapolis in particular uh, is one that a lot of people admire across the country. Pretty broad criteria. Um, infrastructure in the community, including stadium, hotels, uh, entertainment venue, convention center, uh, airline service. A lot of people are having to buy airline tickets on a pretty short notice. So certainly we want those fans to be able to get to the city. And, the, and also the city having a proven ability to host big events, a, a history of showing that they know what it takes to host, host these big events. Um, and, and the stadium capacity of 65,000 um, is something that we've, we've, we've adhered to pretty strictly, uh, and I suspect we will in the future. Bill, what are some of the biggest issues and top priorities for the CFP in the next few years? Maybe it's selection, maybe it's operations, maybe it's fan experience or team services. Anything that comes to mind? One is to continue to build the public's understanding of the event as as the top event in college football, the championship event to decide the winner. Um and you say, well, everybody knows that, probably. Well, the fact is that people recognize the Final Four, but they're still learning what the CFP is all about. So we want to continue to build that brand and, and build the brand as a, as a first-class uh, brand, that meaning a, a, a first-class event that people want to go to and want to follow. Um, I would like to see us bring new people into college football. I think that's happening, but ESPN and others' research has shown that new people are coming on board. Uh, we need to continue to grow that. Uh, we need to do better in the Northeast quadrant. Um, grow the game. Grow the game nationally. Uh, and just continue to do it right. Continue to decide the national championship and and provide great experiences. In doing so, provide great experiences for those athletes. Expansion has been a topic, obviously, for media and fans, probably more so than the selection committee, as it seems. What would be the pros and cons of expansion and maybe any unintended consequences? Well, my my bosses are talking about the future, um, and there's no timetable. Nothing is imminent. Uh, but I think it's only good it's only good business practice to to look at what you might want to be in in five, ten, twenty years. Um, but they're happy with what we have. They know they see what what the playoff has done for the game nationally. 
and uh, they like the fact that we decide a champion on the field. Um, when we put the playoff together, we explored every option from going back to the old bowl system all the way across a spectrum, all the way over to 16 teams. And we decided one thing we wanted to do was preserve the bowl opportunities for the athletes at all levels. Um, we didn't really at the time want to add an, any, any more than one more game. And I'll tell you, as I talked to players, uh, as part of our evaluation of this year's playoff, uh, they are unanimously saying they really don't want to add another game. So that'll be something we'll have to be thinking about in the future. Uh, playing dates. If you add another game, another round of the playoff, when do you play those games? Um, the Saturday after selection week is Army Navy Saturday. And then after that, we get into the NFL playing games on Saturdays. So, uh, playing dates will be a significant issue as well as the health and safety of the student athletes. Um, there probably are reasons to do it. Uh, among those could be, um, possibly bringing more fans into the game with a longer tournament and uh, having fewer, obviously more opportunities for more teams having the opportunity to play for the championship. Uh, so we get all that. It's a very complex matter. And I'm, I'm, uh, I could say I'm, I'm pleased that our, our board, my bosses are, are talking about the future. We also operate the Cheez-It Bowl here, and uh, in the years where we're not a playoff semifinal, do you think an expansion playoff field would have implications for the non-playoff bowl games? And if so, what would those be? Well, you mentioned consequences, unintended consequences. Um, one of those things we all have to be thinking about is what would an expanded field do to the Cheez-It Bowl and other bowl games? And by the way, as you know, I got to go to Cheez-It Bowl this year and had a blast. Uh, it was a great game, great event, super stadium. Just a, <laughs> I loved it, had a great time. But, but we all need to be thinking, and we will, we all need to be thinking about uh, what happens to the other bowl games if there's an expanded uh, tournament. And uh, right now, if anyone says they do know the answer to that question, I don't think they do. Uh, I think we all just need to wade into it and, and figure it out. And we only have one chance to get that right. Well, my goodness, we only had one chance to get the CFP right when we started. And we did. We got it right. From your time in college football, Bill, what has impressed you most about the Fiesta Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl organization? Uh, first class in every way. Uh, tremendous staff. Um, great group of community leaders who serve on the board and who really make the game happen. Uh, community support, tradition, um, the way that the way the Fiesta Bowl treats the guests uh, and, and the Fiesta Bowl staff and board wanting to do things right and with high integrity in, in every way. A couple more here, Bill, if, you, if your time uh, will permit us to. Um, the overall bowl experience, whether it's the Fiesta Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl or anything else, why is the overall bowl experience so important for the student-athletes compared to maybe a regular season game? It's just different than, I guess, a regular season game or even a conference championship game. Well, it is. It's an opportunity for the for the players to get to go to a, 
uh, a different area, a different part of the country, uh, to play a team that they don't normally face, and to go to some city and be the talk of the town, uh, to be able to, to look back in 20 years and tell their, their children and grandchildren, hey, I got to go play in a bowl game. And when I talk to football players of all ages whose careers have ended, and I ask them what do they remember most about their, their time in, in football, the vast majority of them say, I remember that we got to go to the X Bowl. We got to be together with our teammates and our fans, and we got to be, we had the opportunity for a bowl experience. And the, bowls, the bowl experience is unique in football. As you know, nobody else has anything like that. And we're, we're a whole bunch of teams in their vic- in their seasons by celebrating a victory. There's a lot to be said for that. For bowl season, if you could create or change one rule in college football, what would it be? One rule in college football. I am watching the XFL kickoff rule. I'm very curious to see how we all think about it, that after having seen it uh, over an entire season. And I have to say that's intriguing to me. You've been to, you've been to and worked at Final Fours, Olympics, CFP, National Championship Games, I assume Super Bowls. What's the one sporting event you haven't yet been but want to check off your list? Oh, my goodness. I have not been to the British Open golf. I've been to the Masters and to the U.S. Open I'd like to check off the British Open sometime. And World Cup. I'd, I'd love to, and I will. I'll, I'll get to the World Cup soccer, maybe when it comes to the U.S., but I'd like to get there before. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by World Cup soccer. Lastly, it's the same question we ask everybody. What is your most memorable Fiesta Bowl moment? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I guess I've been to about a dozen or 15 Fiesta Balls through the years. Uh, moment. Well, I remember snow on the Saguaros uh, one year. It was very chilly, and it was intriguing to watch the snow fall. Uh, I remember the game that uh, Marcus Dupree had for Oklahoma. Probably still a Fiesta Bowl rushing record. In two uh, and a half quarters. Can't remember who won the football game, but I do remember how dominant a player he was. And I'll tell you, Scott, I will take to my grave the memory of of watching the semifinal game this year. Uh, one of the greatest games of college football that ever will happen. And you were lucky to be there. I was lucky to be there. And all those fans will never forget it. It was awesome. Well, Bill, thank you for your time. I know you have a jam-packed schedule. Uh, overseeing one of the great sports properties that there is in the college football playoff. I know that PlayStation Fiesta Bowl is honored to be a part of the New Year's Six and a part of the college football playoff. And thank you very much for your time, your insight, and your wisdom. Well done, Scott. Thanks for doing it. It's been great fun. Take care.